We don't often think about the voiceover artists behind TV and radio commercials, cartoons, documentaries, drama and video games. But they're actual people, most of them. I'll be interviewing some of the very best to get an inside track on life behind the microphone. I'm Simon Lipson and this is Your Popping. I'm delighted to welcome today to your popping saxophonist, sea swimmer, and uh, all-round geek, and of course voiceover star. It's Claire Reeves. How are you, Claire? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm very well. I, I mentioned the sea swimming because you mentioned it to me in in your email, and you live in Folkestone, is that right? I do, by the sea. What happens off a morning in February? Just you just get out in your swimming gear and. Well, <laughs> throw yourself in the ice cold sea. <laughs> I can't talk about February yet because this is very much a 2020 based adventure. Oh, I see. So far. So I started sea swimming earlier in the summer when, you know, when you're just too hot and you can't cool off. And the only thing that will do is actually throwing yourself in the sea. So I did a bit of that and I started going earlier and earlier in the day and it became more and more exciting and thrilling that I was involved in this lovely secret sort of meditation that very few other people were and I kind of became one of the sea swimmers and then a little group of ladies adopted me (laughs) we're known as the cinnamon bun and swimming club because obviously we have our priorities right you know so we'd swim on a Sunday morning together and have buns and coffee on the beach afterwards and that's kind of evolved in that, you know, most, I'll probably go two, three times a week swimming. Wow. And it's November and I was in the other day and I, I'm the most surprised of anybody. <laughs> uh, admirably British and bonkers. I mean, it, it, it's a bit like my tennis. I play tennis through the winter and Ooh. it gets to the point where, you know, you're just, you just spend an hour freezing on the court, but looking forward to the cup of coffee and a you know, sort of croissant afterwards. That's that's yeah. really what it becomes about. So it does. I get where you're coming from. I called you a voiceover. There are lots of terms for voice artists. There's voice artists. There's voiceover yep. artists. There's voice talent. There's voice actor. How do you define yourself? If anyone asks what I do, I would say I'm a voiceover artist, and then people pull a face, don't they? And yep. then you kind of have to sort of explain that a bit sometimes. But what what I have said to someone that asked me this question before which is it which are you and <laughs> I think my rather geeky reply was something on the along the lines of whatever anyone wants to google and I come up under yeah so if someone's looking for a voiceover talent yes hi I'm here that's exactly what I do <laughs> if you're after a voiceover artist yeah I can do that too or a voice actor yeah yeah I can do that you tick all those boxes yeah. and, and it's presumably this is the when you're doing the is it SEO tagging or whatever it's called because this is all beyond me but you know you, you yeah. use every term you can possibly come up with to describe all of the things that people might call you the keywords all of that stuff yes Interesting, you mentioned about people pulling a face. I've discussed this with one or two other of my guests. Uh, the idea that somehow voice over work is a kind of a piffling <laughs> nonsense of a job. You know, that, that we just turn up, we read some words, uh, and then we, you know, take a big old chunk of money and, and go home. Yeah. Do you find that, that people kind of slightly dismiss it as a something of 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 little substance i think the biggest feeling i get from people is that they're surprised that's a thing 
because yeah. you know really in a sense we must be doing it really well if nobody's noticing it do you know what I mean sure so so we're therefore not intrusive and we're part of people's lives and part of the whole soundtrack to their day-to-day world is about disembodied voices isn't it and if you're not breaking through and being intrusive and someone's going god that sounds awful what's that what who does she think she is then probably we're doing it right yes so that's a good thing and then what i've found is if you raise awareness in people through confessing what you do then they become kind of a, a slight armchair expert in it and they can't help but listen out for you and you get texts at all times of day and night going was that you on that thing <laughs> it sounded like you yeah and sometimes it is and mostly it isn't <laughs> um and then i'm not more's sure. the pity yeah. yeah more's the pity and then sometimes i get a little bit funny about well they don't sound anything like me i'm unique <laughs> and then i remember i inhabit that that world of the 30s to 40s british female which um which is quite well populated. So. Certainly, uh, my previous podcast, which was making an impression, I interviewed a lot of people like you know Rory Bremner and Alistair McGowan, very well-known people whose voices actually, their natural voices ne- may not necessarily be that well-known, but we know them for their range of, of voices. Whereas voiceover artists, although there is some crossover and lots of those people do voiceover work, we're kind of invisible. Uh, as you say, there's this idea that when you watch TV and you watch a bunch of adverts, that's just a bunch of adverts. You're not thinking there's a, somebody sitting in a studio going through a script, hitting all the right notes, hitting all the right emphases and all that stuff. And likewise, then on comes the documentary and that's somebody else <laughs> doing the same thing. The only time I ever, even I, you know, as, as a voiceover artist, only ever rarely notice a voice. It's like, you know, the guy who does the documentary voice for uh, Surgeons at the Edge of Life. He talks like that. He's got a, a voice somewhere oh. back here. It's like, I don't know what he's doing. That makes you think, well, I need to find out who that was. But yeah. mostly I don't care. And I'll look at the credits um, and say, oh, I know them. You know, there's someone I know. That's always nice, isn't it? <laughs> it's a small world. Most of the people I've interviewed and most of the people I'm going to be interviewing come from a background either in drama, uh, some kind of performing art, uh, impressionism, that sort of, I don't know if impressionism is the right term, impressions. But I don't think you do, do you? No, my background's a bit different and it gives me either cause for celebration or insecurity, depending on the company I'm in and what I'm trying to do. I'm always, you know, it it can be a little bit imposter syndrome-y, but then I go and I have to go, actually, this has been my job for 10 years now, so I must be all right. Yeah. Yes, my background is in radio. I've always had a fascination with broadcasting, and it dates back to... When I was a child growing up um, on the south coast of Devon watching Saturday morning children's television, I must have been about seven or eight watching Swap Shop and all of those lovely children's programmes on Saturday mornings. And there was something very special about them. And do you know what that was? That was that glimpse they gave you behind the scenes because the cameras sometimes turned behind the sets and you could see people working there and constructing the magic. And you sort of saw both sides of the flats, the glamorous, shiny side, and then you saw the other side. And you realised that this was a thing that people were doing as a job. So from that age, seven or eight must be, I said to my mum, I'm going to work there 
And you know what? I did eventually. So via sort of BBC Radio Devon when I was 14 and going in and pressing buttons and things. Um, And then when I was at university, I started working for the local radio station in my first year of university. Every Sunday morning for pretty much three years, I turned up at six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. Wow to help put the program on air, to to answer phones, to present the little competitions. Eventually, I was trusted to produce and present the show so that when I'd left university, I'd already had three years broadcast experience. And for me, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to present my own radio programs. And I got to the age of about, I don't know, 25. And I thought, oh, I seem to have done that. Yeah, tick. At that silly age, I was presenting three-hour all-speech programs on my own. Wow. It seems ridiculous. I look back at it now and I'm like, oh, yeah, she could talk. You know, and as part of that, yes, I was doing trails and promos and, you know, just used to working with my voice and microphones and pressing buttons and doing all of those really core voiceover things, I suppose, at that age every single day of my life. And then I left local broadcasting and went to the world service as what we called a sound um, a studio manager which is a sound engineer working for programs for africa and the middle east so most of the programs i was pressing the buttons for didn't understand a word they were saying but they point at you and you do what you think is next yeah and this yeah. is going back to tape and um, razor blades and china graph pencils and all, all of that, that splicing malarkey all that stuff so you know i really feel i feel very privileged that i had that level of training And then what was really wonderful was taking that training back into the studio. And if you were sitting in there recording an audio drama for, you know, for BBC Africa or something, and they'd say, oh, the priest would say, okay, right, look, I need that to kind of loop. And, you know, and you you had the magic skills to be able to create a tape loop with actual tape, you know, and then still I was voicing things for, for different parts of world service um and then i went into television i was doing quite a lot of you know heavy geek heavy heavy lifting geeky stuff in putting the bbc's tv channels on air now that we're in you know in covid land hopefully better news has has Mm. just arrived as we speak with uh possible vaccine but right now things are very much home-based i know you've got a home studio i presume then that your technical knowledge acquired down the years has been a a huge boon when it's come to putting together your own you know you're submitting stuff but I we were just talking before we started recording and I was saying to you that I have my own studio but I because my hearing is so naff um I couldn't really hear what I was doing but it didn't help also that I didn't know what I was doing in what way would you say that that's helped you to make your career really take off as a as a home-based voiceover as a home-based voiceover I'm you know operating a studio in whatever form has no fear for me you know I don't have the tech worries that Mm -hmm. a lot of people do and you know understandably because if you've trained in acting why should you know you know it's it's not like we're all born with that with that innate knowledge and it Mm. you know it is a specialist area in itself so that gives me the kind of confidence that I pretty much know what I'm doing I can make stupid mistakes the best you know but I'm probably quite quick at troubleshooting but it's also it's not just about the buttons I think what it is that the training's given me is an ability to listen to myself and to my surroundings and know how to get the best out of that microphone. Mm. Because 
I just can hear it probably differently to other people because we were sort of trained to have ears like bats, really, you know, listening to things intensely. What did we hear? Why did we hear it? How is that created? You know, it's sort of a level that, yeah, I suppose it does give me sort of bat power, sonic <laughs> power that maybe I wouldn't have had I not been through that whole um, BBC training of, of ears. And what about voice work itself? You, The way you've described it, you were kind of doing these things without thinking too much. I'm suddenly doing a promo, I'm doing a trailer, I'm, I'm presenting shows. Yeah. Once you kind of committed to the idea of, do you know what, I think I can do this as a you know, become a voiceover professional. Was there a point at which you thought I actually ought to take some some vocal training? It wasn't really the vocal side of it for me. Um, it was more about sort of unlocking some of the secrets of the delivery. Mm-hmm. So I trained with Nancy Wolfson, voiceover favourite, based in California, around commercials. And that I found very helpful in the deconstruction of a script. Again, you know, you guys that did the drama school thing have probably got that advantage on me. Don't, don't look at me. I didn't go to drama school. I, <laughs> I, was, I was a stand-up and impressionist. So oh, you know, okay. Kind of drift, I drifted into it and learned, learned as I went along. So maybe I'd, maybe I'd never learned anything. But Nancy Wolfson, I think Darren Altman, who I spoke yes. to the other day, he trained with, with Nancy. And it does sound fascinating. And to some extent, I think, I wish I'd done that. I, mm. I kind of feel like I'm, I'm too far past that 30 years on into the job. The most important thing, I think, in voiceover, especially in the situation where we work on our own so much and we're self-directing, is having someone else who knows what they're on about, knows what they're listening to, have a listen to you once in a while. Yeah. And go... You know that thing you keep doing that you don't even know you're doing? Mm. Maybe stop that. (laughs) Or you would book more if you did it like that. Yeah. And actually, you know, as we all know, voice acting is very often just actually being a really cool version of yourself, (laughs) Um, a really authentic version of yourself rather than somebody else. And it's that helping you to find out who you are. I mean, it's so introspective, it's untrue. Who you are and dig deep into that person to deliver that script in a way that only you can. (laughs) No pressure. You know, for me, that's really interesting. Mm. I think the most important tip that I got along the way, about two or three years into my career, somebody said, stop pissing about in the booth. Um, (laughs) They don't want to hear you doing 12 impressions. They just want to get the job done. And I, I learned that it's a quite a painful lesson because that agency never used me again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I haven't done that for 25 years, but there's always that urge when I see a microphone. Is there? You see that I'm not like that at all. And that's definitely a reflection of your background as opposed to mine. I'm like, microphones are ears and they're always listening, behave yourself. You know? <laughs> Let's talk about directions. It's a fertile area, this. Uh, I've had some absolutely insane directions. Mostly, mostly directions from creatives are very good. But quite often you sense they don't really know what they're looking for. They're not quite sure what they want to hear. And then you end up with someone saying, this is my, always my favorite. Can you, can you do that faster but slower? Oh, yeah. And you think, I honestly, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, of course, you tend to go, sure, yeah, I'll give that a shot. Uh, have there been directions along the way that have just made you think, what What? What are you on? Yeah, there's a lot of that. People get really carried away. It's that thing about when you have a lot of people involved, isn't it? 
especially it does tend to bring out you know the best in that yeah. particular situation i don't know if they're trying to prove something to each other sometimes mm. or they just want to be involved or, or test you or i don't i mean i've had very few of these experiences just to be clear though there was one that you know um accents are not my strong suit i do what i do and people tend to book me for that and then occasionally i'll chuck in a i'm from devon via London and East Anglia and I live in Kent you know my dad's a Yorkshireman so my accent is beautifully mixed up anyway yeah which seems to work for people and if they say to me you know oh I did have one I can't remember who it was for it was a corporate of some description and they said look it's really important to us that you sound like you worked in New York 10 years ago you don't live there anymore you live in the you live in the UK now oh and you wear a suit to work (laughs) right yeah thanks for all of that. And they they obviously thought they had given me pearls of absolute wisdom, <laughs> you know. I was like, okay. So what that means in real terms is, you know, they want somebody quite corporate, um, you know, and it's about translating the creative idea, isn't it? And I guess this is part of the fun, right? Yeah. There was, there was you know, they'll say these things. So, you know, my job is to translate that into they want something fairly corporate, but probably someone who's quite relaxed in real life. And maybe with the occasional hint of something slightly American going on in there, just occasionally you drop it in, you know, and that's, that worked. And they go, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And then they go away thinking, yeah, I directed that really well. You know, (laughs) she did exactly (laughs) what I wanted. So maybe we're self-perpetuating it by being really good Mm. at following some of the crazy woolly stuff we get. Yeah. Because then they go back and say to the office, I was brilliant there. I got exactly what I needed out of her by telling her that she lived in New York 10 years ago and where's a suit to work. I, I am brilliant. You know, <laughs> let me direct the next session in exactly the same ill-informed way. Well, I was going to say, the, God help the next voiceover artist exactly. going in. There's going to be a whole page of instructions, you know, with, with backstory and God knows Yeah. You mentioned there that you get a lot of people sometimes in the room you sense that they all feel they ought to say something. They ought to chip in. Yeah. And then you end up with 10 different, you know, one going, can you go up on and? Another one going, why don't you try going down on and? And you don't know where you're going anymore. Is mm. there a point at which you would say, that guys, I don't really know now what you want me to do because you're giving me lots of conflicting instructions? Or do you kind of keep your head down and just keep throwing out versions and hoping that eventually you're going to hit some kind of middle ground that they're all happy with. It's such an interesting point. I think that because I'm used to running studios, that I feel that I need to take a bit of control. Mm. (laughs) Um, This is my space. Welcome to my studio. My rules, okay? Um, Yes, you my my director. You are the clients. I'm here to make sure you get the end result you need. But what I'm here to do is to make sure that happens working in a way that suits me. So if somebody is saying, oh, you need to go up on that word, do we need to go, someone else is saying you need to go down on that word, I would then sort of say, okay, look, so you're saying you need me to go up, you're saying you need me to go up, down. What I'm going to do for you is, I'm going to give you both of those options, then I'm going to give you my take on what I would do, if that's okay with you. And they can't possibly say no, because you've just said you're going to give them exactly what they asked for. Plus, you're going to give them the right version. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, where you're putting no emphasis on and, and you're making sure that the words that actually need to be hit are hit. And they go, yeah. And they all think they're right, don't they? I think 
there's a trust issue here. I think it depends who you are, but if they, I do a lot of work for one particular client and in the end, it's, it's almost a case of, well, go on, you know what you're doing. We've been doing this for, for seven years, carry on, you know, and we'll, we might throw a tweak in, but on the whole, you know how to do it. But it's when they don't know you that well. I've been doing it for 30 years. Okay. And just once I lost my temper because <laughs> normally I'm, un, I'm unfailingly polite and whatever they want me to do, I'll do. Okay. And I'll, and I'll do it to the best of my ability. And in the end, it, it works out fine. But there was just one occasion where I, I didn't much like the creative. It was really irritating me. And he kept stopping me on, you know, on the comma and, and, and on an and and on an in. And, and it was just getting to the point where I just went, look, I haven't got the first fucking clue what you want me to do anymore. I just don't know. And I lost it. I didn't shout, but I'd lost it. And you know, I sort of said, I'm, I'm just coming out of here. I need a break. And I took the, the headphones off. I was a bit flounced out of the studio <laughs> and came back. And we kind of struggled our way through to the end. It was that kind of directing to within an inch of its life. Yeah, micro-directing. Exactly. Trust me a bit here. I do know how to do this. I've been doing it a long time. Have you ever got anywhere near that level of frustration and fury? Or is it always, I'll deal with that idiot, giving me three different conflicting instructions? Take this how you will, but I really believe that I can deliver absolutely anything they need me to in the right way. And I have that sort of unfaltering belief that I can do it. You know, I've so, I sometimes say to them, right, look, you know, this is about me taking control again, isn't it? I think it's about me saying, right, okay, just step back from a second. I need to run this right the way through. Then talk to me about how you feel. Yeah. So I would, I would probably nip it in the bud going, look, I'm really, I'm not comfortable stopping there. That's stopping the flow of the piece. I want to make sure I get the best for you. You know, it's all that sort of slightly BBC-ish managing thing, I think. The, the more experience you have doing the work, the more mm. you feel comfortable saying to them, look, I think it doesn't, that doesn't quite work for me. Let me give you to you how I think it sounds in my yeah. head. And on the whole, I would say 90, 90% of the time, they're going to be, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll bow to that. I've not had any good rows, though, about you it. Haven't. Now I feel a little bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> this same person, I used to do, the, it was Land Rover, and I, I Land Rover, this was my Land Rover voice down here. It was Welsh, you see. Ooh. And he'd say to me, right, he'd say, can you read it like this? You go, Land Rover. Uh, the marvellous experience of driving your Land Rover on the... And I'm thinking... And he said, he say, do it like that. <laughs> I said, well, you mean like that? <laughs> so I go, Land Rover, the wonderful experience of... And he go, no, no. And I'm thinking, the trouble is, we are talking in different languages at the moment. I'm talking in Land Rover, and he's talking in something else. And, yeah. and I think that's... He couldn't hear what I was doing. No. Somehow. And I could hear what he was saying, but I thought, I can't emulate that. This is, the, this is my Land Rover voice. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, sparked a kind of a sense of, we are never going to see. You know, we're parallel lines here. And funnily yeah. enough, I did a lot of work for that studio and that guy over the years. And we, we reached an accommodation, I think, after I had my little flouncy moment but maybe that's sometimes needed to clear the air in that situation because it clearly reached a point where 
there was a bit of a blockage yes. and and maybe sort of stepping out and you know the, the cooling off thing is a really wise move I mean I guess I'm just thinking about gosh if this was to happen to me you know soon what would I do and I'm, <laughs> I think you know the whole working from home studio thing you could mm. play it to your advantage a bit and you could kind of kind of take your arm surreptitiously around and kind of disconnect it couldn't you and go <laughs> yes and then and then connect it back on I'm really sorry, Dan, what happened there? You know, and just take a minute, couldn't you? Yeah, you could do that. So I like that. I like this that. This is a new plan. This is a new plan. This is how it goes from here. Talking of, and I've never been a prima donna in the studio. I've been an idiot trying to entertain, and I've had one fancy moment in 30 years. So I, th- I think overall I've done okay. But I have occasionally been in a studio with someone being difficult. Have you ever had trouble like that because i mean there are some some famously difficult people out there tom baker we you know is well known for his slightly charmless approach have you ever been in in the studio with somebody being a little bit too look at me i have a bit i mean they weren't a name but it was very difficult and it became a little bit, you know, in a, in a group situation, a bit, look at me, look at me, look at me, pick me, pick me. Pick me. And I'm thinking, you've already been hired. You're here. Calm down a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, and it was difficult because the per- I don't want to name any names or name any Come on, name a name. Anything. No, <laughs> no, it's not happening. But it was, became quite apparent that person was sort of still auditioning. Yeah. And it's hard and it's tiring because you don't, you're aware of it and, you know, and there's a sort of a sense in the room that this is a bit awkward, but of course that's not the kind of person who's going to pick up on the awkward mm. either. So what actually happened is kind of everyone worked hard, the director worked hard to work around it. And, you know, and some of us will call back to do <laughs> another day, recording things slightly more more mellow and you know a bit more down to earth and that person wasn't in the cast that day you know so so it's a tricky one but I've not really worked with celebs in the studio in voiceover I mean I did a bit I have in radio a bit Mm -hmm. um, and I did does this count or not I don't know I did a lovely job a couple of years ago for the AIM Independent Music Awards big music industry bash and I, I was the live voice of God for that. Right. Um, which was just delightful because it, it's kind of the closest I get to mixing radio presenting and voiceover in one handy hit because I've got all the live stuff going on and it's yeah. like, I should step into it now, boom. And it was like, yeah, you get that red light goes on buzz all over again that I sort of miss sometimes. And I had to navigate people through this whole event and listening to me for the entire night with the poor likes of Jarvis Cocker mm-hmm. and um, Nick Cave and, you know, big, big music industry stars. And I was kind of, I was doing my work. And most of the time they were sitting there drinking and eating and you could see all these wonderful things going on at all these lovely tables you know, that I couldn't be part of because yes, yes. <laughs> I was, it was nothing to do with me. But then, you know, doing those announcements and I would kind of do an announcement and I'd just sit there and kind of think to myself, Jarvis Cock is listening to me. <laughs> it's, and I was given the opportunity, one of the assistants, my agent who was there on, on the night, said, you know, I can introduce you to Jarvis Cocker if you want. And you know what? I said, no, please don't do that because it just wouldn't be, wouldn't be very nice for you or for me 
<laughs> I want to come out with this with some sort of dignity and tact. And I hear you. I, I, I once I did a similar job where I was uh, incredibly lavish corporate do where they brought in four or five casts from West End shows to wow. do little snippets of shows on a, a makeshift stage, but an extraordinary makeshift stage in, in the V&A. They turned the V&A this theatre. And I was Mr. You know, Mr. And next, Elaine Page sings, you know, something <laughs> like that. And um, at the end of it, they called me on, to, on stage. Um, and all of the performers <laughs> did that little, you know, that slightly theatrical clappy clappy thing towards <laughs> me with the hands outstretched. Clappy clappy. And I had yes. to take my bow and I thought, oh my God, this is not me. I tell jokes, you know, I'm, I do Ronnie Corbett impressions. This is not <laughs> what I do. Um, but it, it's interesting because voice work does take you places that, you don't ordinarily, you don't actually expect. You Doesn't can tell you a little boffin in the studio churning yeah. out voices. That was one of my top favourites, I think, because, you know, you, you can see from my um, well-placed props behind me that I love my music. My saxophone's behind me. Yeah, there are saxophones galore behind you. Only two. Well, it looks like a lot more. <laughs> and I did ask Claire before the show if she'd uh, give us a quick toot on one of those saxophones and she's mm. uh, turned me down flat. <laughs> Uh, which is <laughs> great disappointment. What other stuff have you done that's been a little bit off off the beaten track? Oh, well, I, I mean, it's a funny one because this was, you know, I know I'm here to talk about voiceovers, but this, and this person found me sort of through my voiceover mm. marketing, if you like, um, and it looked a very strange job, but I thought oh, I was intrigued enough to, um, you know, follow up and have a conversation. And there's an Iraqi radio station in Erbil in northern Iraq, and it's called Babylon FM and they broadcast a great deal in the English language to um, largely Kurdish population. And this was a few years ago now and there was still sort of quite a lot of trouble in the area. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff around IS, you know, a lot of news happening there. Very difficult place to live for people. But the guy that ran the radio station asked me if I would be so kind as to be their newsreader. <laughs> So he would send me, this is so odd, isn't it? So he would send me sort of the day's news at about 8 or 9pm at night in a one minute sort of format. And I would have to read it in a kind of chart show-ish, lively, newsy, yeah, kind of way. You know, even though you're reading really sad stuff in a happy way, and I don't like that very much. And then I'd have to mix it with the top and tail on the bed, you know, mix it, send it back. And it would be played out three times during their breakfast show the next day. So I became for a, probably a year and a half to two years, you know, this was five or six evenings a week. It really was quite a drain. I couldn't go anywhere without my microphone. Even went to a voiceover conference and I had to absent myself from part of it to go and read the news for Iraq. So you probably had to deal with some difficult names and words that... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so because that does bring me on to a question I, I do like to ask. What words have stumped you uh, or given you all kinds of issues in the booth don't we all just love digital oh. isn't that a terrible everybody says that don't they everyone said it so far on, on the show do you know what i really hate as well and i get myself really cross about it the word click okay yeah. because there's one word that's guaranteed to make my voice click so i have to edit it out and that's click and it's really infuriating because i know it's coming it's just i must talk to nick redmond redmond about it actually about the way that i use my voice on it because it's probably I think it's to do with the way that my palate sits with the L sound and my right. hint of Devon that comes through trips me up. But the click, there'll always be a little 
in there. And I, for heaven's sake, the other day I was doing a piece around a service station in the Netherlands and I could not get the very simple name of the service station right. Yeah. They sent me three reference files and in the end they said, look, we love you, Claire. However, on this word, you really suck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a service station called Total, which we know yeah. don't, in the UK. And they have part of their service station. I think it's where they have the, I don't know, all the sweets and custard creams or whatever the Dutch equivalent is, is called Serve Auto, Serve Auto. So yeah. first time I did it, Serve Auto. No. Oh, okay. Serve Auto. No. Well, serve Auto. But no, the emphasis is, and I, I have them in the booth laughing, serve alto, but it's not serve alto. It's serve alto, but it's not serve, you can't, I can't, I'm really shift myself off again. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't blend serve and alto together, even when you emphasize serve. So for me, it's like the difference, you know, there's the difference between ice cream and ice cream, mm. you know, or ice cream. But anyway, this is an ice cream word, serve alto, serve alto, like that. And that's how it should be. And eventually, after 20 minutes, I got the one word that was missing from this script. And I was just, I mean, they, they thought it was hilarious. They were sitting there, you know, we were chatting on Zoom in the studio and they were, had their cameras up like that, taking photos of me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? What was nice about that is this very faceless world of voiceover that I live in, usually people send me a script to record it, send it back. And, luckily, and hopefully they pay me. What that became is an opportunity, I suppose, to see them face to face, to actually chat to those two guys and see their faces. And they found it quite interesting to actually see me, rather than just one of my silly photos yeah. on the website, to actually see me working and to associate the voice they've heard many, many times on loads of projects over the last few years. Actually see that voice coming out of a person, I think, quite amused them. It does change the dynamic, doesn't it? Because we've been talking to, you know, Melissa Sindon and, uh, and Darren Altman and, and others, and everyone is doing a lot more work from home. And it's unusual, actually, to have a setup that where you're zoomed in on that. It tends to be, you're, you know, you're all, you can all hear each other. I've done a few voiceovers using Source Connect and you can hear them and there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's like being in the studio, but you can't make that bit of eye contact. Mm. They can't see exactly how you're producing the sound. And I think there's just a little, you're, you're once removed from traditional process, yeah. which is I'm in the booth, you're over there. There's a little bit of shorthand, you know, visual shorthand that you yeah. lose when you're in, a, in your own studio. Totally. Traditional, I just said traditional beautifully, but that's another toughie. Traditional, yeah. You know, I've got so many of them that drive me mad. But do you know what I do? If they're really that bad and I can't talk anymore, I will just record them and turn them into a little clip and post them on social media because it seems to exorcise them from me. Yes. If I can somehow chuck them out there and go, look, this is what I've done. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> but Look, this shows I'm a human. Yes. And also that the voiceover is much, much harder. 
than people think. It's so it's so tricky. Yeah, it's so hard. So anyway, that's that's my thing. Well, I like that. That's a that's a great technique actually to kind of exercise them by putting the rubbish out there and saying you know because. Yeah. But do you ever get that thing where there's a word you're stumbling over in a script it's in the middle of a line somewhere? You know it's coming. And because you know it's coming, you, yeah. you're going to cock it up. And then you get it right, finally, and then cock everything else up afterwards. Yeah, because your mind is still going, Woo! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did it, you're brilliant. And then you can't say, and the. It's exactly right, exactly right. Yeah, do you know, there's a really good technique for this that I learned a couple of years ago. When you've got one of those sentences, is actually just to whisper the script to yourself and then just mouth it without making any noise at all and it's magical that the next time you do it it's sort of all right it's that thing where you've you've got a really tricky word in the middle of a sentence and you know they do come up in medical or sort of fairly techie things I quite enjoy doing infrastructure Um, (laughs) and if you just can't say them then have a go at it and then you come back to it and put your voice in and it works. I will definitely try that next time. I did, I did a documentary called Mega Air, uh, which was about the um, air freight industry. Oh, quite fascinating. Oh, you see, I quite like that. Oh, I love oh. infrastructure. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you, you can find it on Dave. Eight parts, eight hours of just oh. aeroplanes carrying tulips to Amsterdam. Flipping wonderful. I've probably seen it. You, I'm sure you have. And so that's me kind of doing all of that stuff. And there were lots of place names that I had to conquer. And what tend to happen, they, they would send me references, but mostly it would just be in the studio. And I yeah. you know, I, I would just do the stumble and then say, they say, Simon, actually, uh, this is how we pronounce Skipol. Skipol. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Gotcha, right. <laughs> and then I'd muck it up a few times and then get Skipol. Then get it. Yeah. yeah. But they had lots of weird words. And meteorologically. Oh, that's a killer. Meteorologically. Meteorologically. And I thought, well, can I just get just meteorologically? But of course, when you're, you become very conscious of it and oh, you think, I'd better obsessed. Hit, yeah. And I've got to hit every one of those vowels and consonants along the way. Yeah. And strangely enough, I did it first time and then cocked up the next word. And oh. it's, oh, God. And then I couldn't do meteorological for half an hour. Anyway, so these are, <laughs> these are some of the great things we, voiceovers it's, uh, you know it's not uh, it's not rocket science but it's it's somewhere very close it's out there yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> i know you do commercials you do documentaries have you done animations games those sorts of things no i haven't i wonder if this is my imposter radio broadcaster person telling me that i'm not going to do animations or video games and that kind of thing Look, the point is, there's a load of people out there much better than I would be at that stuff. So for me to get up to their level would be a lot of work. And it would, I just don't know whether it would be worth my while when I'm pretty happy. I don't know, am I doing myself out of work? Or am I just being really honest? I'm not sure, both. I do think there's a, having done all of those things, uh, Mm. I recognise where my strengths and weaknesses are. And so, yeah. for example, video games, which is just a lot of, Roar! you come to, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I think that's just not me. I wasn't trained as an actor. I could do the voices in a kind of a ham-fisted way, but I don't think it's me. 
you know, I've done radio plays. Yeah. And I did a radio play. I, won't, I better not name names here because this is, there were some famous people in this. It's embarrassing. But uh, I was playing a, a range of minor characters and I was in a scene and six actors were standing around in the studio doing what was actually quite a, an emotional scene where somebody had died and the, their spouse was getting very emotional about it. And I, you know, I'm a comedian. I just think, well, okay, we'll, <laughs> I do my funny voice. And then this guy started doing the whole emotional scene and started crying. And as I, and he was really crying. And as I looked around the studio, all the other actors were crying. Oh, but I didn't quite clock it. And so right at the end, I said something idiotic, like, oh, that was very good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they were all doing the, oh, love, that was so beautiful. And I thought, this is probably not me either. <laughs> I, no. can do, I can do funny radio. You know, I can do lots of sketchy stuff. Uh, but mm. serious. Oh, yeah, it was a sort of a comedy, but that was a serious scene. I was not built for it. No, and exactly that's it, isn't it? And I think it's much better if we just say, do you know what? I'm I'm actually really good at commercials. They're trained to do it. Yeah. I yeah. love doing them. For me, it's my favourite thing because I get to put lots of stuff I care about into action. And I know I make people happy when I do it right. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, I love seeing and hearing my work about the place. And if you show me an actor, voiceover actor that says they don't like seeing their stuff on the telly, then you're lying. God, you know? I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. It's great. And then people say, oh, is that you? And I'm, yes, it is. And I'm proud of that because most people, most of my work goes on over there. Yeah. And nobody sees it and nobody hears it. And nobody cares apart from my clients, which is very important. But sometimes it's lovely to do a piece of work that people go, oh, wow, it's amazing. I didn't know that was yeah. you. My son loves it. If I'm, there's a Colgate ad I'm on that's uh, that's still out at the yeah. moment on the telly, and if my son sees it, he will shout, "Mom, you're on the telly!" Yes, I get that. I get that. And, you know, and it's really fun. And not lovely. from your son, obviously, but I I do get it. No, he'd struggle to <laughs> identify you. Ed, probably, uh, I I did have one. Yeah, it's, I had one classic moment where I was in a cinema with some friends, busy packed cinema. And up on this huge screen, there's me doing Land Rover. And my yes. friends all turned in on me and started pointing at me. And so everyone in the cinema knew that was me. Oh. I thought, you know what? This, this is good enough. I don't really need ever to do a voiceover again because... No, you reach peak voiceover recognition. That's it. Exactly. That's all, that's all we ask, isn't it? Somebody's going, wow, look, that's you. You're a bit of a star, but you're also a sort of a stealthy star yeah. as well because no one really knows... So I love doing those. And I really love doing documentary. The day I got the call from National Geographic, oh, you know, that was one of those. Yeah, done that. That's amazing. Tick that one off. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the real just joy of doing that and knowing that was one thing that I'd, I'd always wanted to do was really satisfying. But I do get a lot of corporate work. And you know what? I like it. Although it might not be everyone's cup of tea to, you know, talk about inventions, oil rig, you know, all of that. Oh, I quite like it. Yeah. I think you can learn a bit. But, you know, you, it, for me, I don't know about you, it goes into my eyes. I then become an expert in it deeply yeah. and care about it deeply for as long as it takes me to read and edit the script. Yeah. And then... You know, if one should happen upon a pub quiz that might contain questions about that thing, do I know anything about it? Not a thing. 
no, nothing. But it's quite interesting, isn't it? The amount of information that goes through us in that sense is, is really fascinating. It is, but of course you're, you're focusing, as you say, you're kind of focusing on the words and the delivery at the time, but you're not really absorbing a great deal of information because you're mm. that's not what you're there to do. I've done lots of stuff with technical uh, you know, cars, all kinds of, you know, the weight depth is 12.9 meters, but yeah. and I, think, like, I don't know what any of that means. I don't, I don't really care, but I just want to say it right. I want to say it yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah. Really well. So that it, it sounds like I understand and I'm giving it to the right people in the right way so that they go, oh, that's not some idiot voiceover artist who doesn't know what they're talking about. However, there was one mm. probably about a year ago I had from a regular client. It was a corporate voiceover. I read the script maybe two, three times. I'm really not quite, you know, and I do quite like to get into understanding about what I'm talking about, if I possibly can. Mm. And I read it. I don't know what that is. What am I actually talking about here? And I kept reading it. I just, I have absolutely no idea. I know. I'll Google it and I'll have watch some videos about it. And I sat there and I was kind of just sitting there with a cup of tea watching it, trying to kind of get myself in the right headspace for this piece of work. And again, I watched two or three videos and I just found myself laughing hysterically because I still didn't know what this thing was, this widget. And in the end, I think I watched, I probably watched about four or five videos, read some more stuff, reread the script. And then I think it's something to work out, it's something to do with scientific slides for samples of things that go into some machine. Any more than that, I cannot be specific, but it took me that long to determine what that was about. And I thought, and now it's my job to try and get other people to understand this stuff. As you say, you have to be authoritative at that point. I firmly believe we are there as voiceover artists to get people to do stuff, mm. whether that means go out and buy a thing or to learn about this product or this piece of machinery so that they can use it safely, whatever that is. You know, we are there to get people to do stuff. And it is simply that. And if I'm not in a position to get somebody to do the thing that needs doing, then that's not going to work for me or the client or anyone. And, you know, and it will be an unhappy situation. Well, I think that explains it rather well, actually. The, the, the ultimate, the, the highest purpose of, of the mm. voiceover is to convey information and get people to obey. Yeah. Just your bloody toes. Yeah, just there, there to manipulate, yeah. ultimately. That's it. It's a cracking job, isn't it? Isn't it? Just, we're coming to the end. I've had a lot of fun uh, chatting to you, Claire. And I just wanted to ask you because we, uh, you know, we talked about where we are COVID wise and maybe things are going to be improved. But I wanted to, for the time being, ask you about how you're doing in terms of the work coming in. Has, has much changed? And in terms of promoting yourself? Has there been a, you know, it's the imperative there to get out there and do it more? So how, how's the overall this period been affecting you? I think that I probably sort of share sentiments of most people around sort of March and we kind of fell into all of this, didn't we? Um, and nobody really quite knew what was going to happen. No. I did believe that as somebody with, who's been working from their own studio at home for the last 10 years, I thought, well, this will be fine. Surely this is my time. Everyone's going to want me now, you know, and my fellow voiceovers who have also been doing the same thing from their, their home studios. But the immediate situation was not that. And all of a sudden, people were all over social media with their studio 
as in a really cheap, nasty mic in an echoey room going, ha, oh, look at my home studio. Yeah. I can work from home on my home studio. And um, I think as a voiceover community of professionals, we were all a little bit weeping at this. It seemed to me that there was almost a, a blitz spirit about it, that people would be hired. Mm. And it didn't matter that they sounded awful because we're still doing this and we're in it together and people will forgive a little bit of awful audio. Yeah. You know, and there seemed to be that spirit for probably a month or so. And I was getting worried. Um, and it was a little bit tumbleweedy. And I decided that, you know, instead of being sort of sad and bitter about lots of things, I wouldn't be that anymore. And what I would be would be prepared to look at where the work was. Mm. And there was nothing I could do about those people. I could raise awareness that I had a good quality studio. Um, I could keep working. I could keep pushing. I could keep marketing, but work out where the money was now um, and who needed me and to make sure that they knew I was about to deliver what they needed. And I was hitting the marketing and some kind of like, you know, I, I I think I did a little brainstorm or solo meeting, which you have a lot of voiceover artists do. I'm having a business meeting with you. Oh, thank you very much. Nice to be here. <laughs> so a bit of that and sort of a couple of hours of spider diagrams. I managed to kind of put myself in a headspace that I knew what I wanted to do and how I wanted to achieve it and to push forward. And the last month has been on a par with every other October I've ever had, if right. not slightly better. And I think it's because I've just been marketing more, building my connections more because you know, if there's, you don't jump the six foot gate if there isn't the bull behind you. And I love what I do and I want to keep doing this. Sure. And in order to be able to make that happen, I have to push myself and market and make sure I'm working really hard yeah. to keep my business going, you know. And and I, I imagine it's going to be a little bit like this for a while, a bit, un, bit unpredictable. Mm. But I have seen a... A decline in the use of terrible studios mm-hmm. on air, right? Yeah, which has made me think that people don't want to sound all you know COVID chic on their productions now going forward because that's so twenty twenty, right? And aren't we all going to be really keen to forget this? Yeah, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, look, it sounds as though you've got voiceovering taped. Well, I hope so, but I can't assume. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wish you every success going forward, and well, I guess it's time for you to have a. A dip in the sea now, um, because it's probably minus 15. Uh, oh, it's at least 14. It's very warm. <laughs> ideal. It's <laughs> ideal. I wish I could join you. So thank you for joining me on Your Popping. It's uh, Claire Reeves. And to everybody who's been kind enough to tune in to the podcast, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You can find Your Popping on all the major podcast platforms, so why not subscribe and give us five stars? We also have our own Your Popping Facebook page, and our Twitter handle is at Voice Maestros, where you can also find links to our Making an Impression podcast, featuring some of the best impressionists on the planet. 